0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of Own the Road with Auto Trader, where we make car stuff simple for Canadians. My name is Jody Lai, and I'm the editor in chief of Auto Trader.
1: And I am the road test editor of Auto Trader, Dan Alika, I want to do it your style, mix it up a little bit. We always do it the same way.
0: Okay, next time I'll just pretend to be Dan, and well, you can pretend to be Well, I noticed me, Jody. it
1: wasn't intentional, but you would always say like, "I am," you know, like the editor in chief of Auto Trader, and I would say, "I'm Auto Trader's road test editor." So I just wanted to, you know, walk okay. a mile in your shoes. We'll, Try the intro your way.
0: Okay, we'll we'll keep evolving as yeah. we go. Um, but today we're talking all about sports cars and performance cars. And what I love about sports cars and performance cars is that there's kind of something for everyone. So if you don't have a big budget and you want something sporty and fun, you got options. And it only gets better with the more money you have. Yes, that <laughs>
1: is very true. It's, uh, But I think, you know, and we'll get into it. I don't want to, like, you know... Jump too far ahead, but it's cool that still like affordability can be uh, like there are cheap sports cars that are more fun than six-figure ones. Oh, 100%, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool that even though the market has evolved and and has changed, so that there is more options. It's still firmly rooted in this like affordable fun. You know package and
0: yeah and i'm I'm always telling people that sports cars really aren't all about the numbers like you hear a lot of people bragging about like torque and horsepower and like drag times and zero to 100 times i honestly think that those numbers to most people shouldn't hold so much weight because i think sports cars can be fun with very little horsepower Uh,
1: hey case in point we can take a moment to mourn for i just last I sold my 1995 Mazda Miata, and that was the definition of unimpressive numbers. But like, but how happy did that car make you? Oh my god, it was so much fun to drive. Always, it was like bittersweet to sell it. You know, I wasn't driving it enough, especially with the pandemic. That was like the big motivator. Was just like it's sitting so much, and I thought somebody out there, because it's such like a lovable car that somebody else out there could enjoy it, you know, as much as I did in the early days of buying it and uh, the way it should be enjoyed. So I kind of reluctantly sold it and uh, Brian came and picked it up on Friday and he's like the perfect guy to to kind of take over um, stewardship of the car. It's not really an ownership experience. It's like you're, you know, carrying on this this legacy. And, and uh, yeah, he messaged me after he got home and said like his drive home was, just a blast, and it's like, again, it makes me happy to, to you know, see that and see somebody else enjoying it. But again, I'm like, oh, man, it's kind of sad.
0: It's definitely bittersweet, but it is nice that he enjoyed that first drive so much yeah. because that's such a magical experience, you yeah. know? Um, and it's a really, the Miata was a really big, well, it a, it's an iconic sports car, I would yes. say, in terms of, like, the, the formula that it follows. So rear-wheel drive, yep. two seats, front,
1: front, engine. front engine. And I think it's still... Well, it would be. Like, it's the best-selling roadster of all time.
0: And it's been around since the late 80s? Yeah,
1: 89. And so mine was a first-gen, but it was a 95, so it was an NA8, so it had a, an upgraded It was a 1.8 liter, but it made, like, 131 horsepower.
0: Which is nothing by today's standards. Even by like... the,
1: the standards back in those days, it was, like... Well, this thing's not very powerful yeah, but
0: why i like low horsepower sports cars so much is that you can drive them really hard without being scared that it's gonna like kill you
1: or that you're gonna break the law
0: <laughs> exactly you can
1: have so, like the miata again is the definition I, the ford fiesta st is another car that i love and, and our friend sebastian bell owns one and that car is so much fun and you can be like tossing it through a roundabout and be like oh god like there's a cop and you look down at the speedometer you're like oh i'm doing 40. like it's but you feel like you're on a roller coaster all the time
0: yeah and i think that's why these like low um horsepower sports cars and performance cars too are just so much fun yeah um because you really don't have to be a pro driver to like get that sensation of like having fun and being able to toss it around um but yeah the definition for what a has evolved over the years, you know, and it will continue to evolve yeah. as as EVs become more popular. I, think I really be... don't
1: like this idea, yeah, of like being like, oh, here, here is like the very, you know, like limited box that that it can live within, and if it's anything outside of that, like, yeah, okay, I, you know, both of my car, well now only one, but you know, my <laughs> two cars, um, both manual. I love, you know, driving. A stick shift but that's just not what most people want and it's also not what's going to get you know kind of the full potential out of a vehicle these days
0: yeah for sure because like a lot of these diehard automotive enthusiasts will be like hashtag save the manuals yeah. like manuals or die and i i get that mentality because i also enjoy driving manual cars but it's not for everybody no. Um, And especially if if you're the type of driver who wants speed and like milliseconds matter, like if you're tracking your car, honestly, an automatic is probably going to be better for you because there's no way a a human can shift faster than a computer. (laughs) Oh,
1: and also, you know, that idea, I don't subscribe to it as much, but a lot of people complain about driving manual in, you know, stop and go traffic. Oh, it's um, brutal. See, it's never really bothered me that much, to be honest with you.
0: To me, it's just annoying. Like sometimes you just get, it takes so much more effort.
1: Agreed. But it's just, it's not, i that was never like, it would never be a detractor for me. Like I wouldn't That's be fair. like, oh, okay, I'm not going to buy this because I have a, a bad commute because of the, to me, it makes up for it with the fun factor. That's of true. When you're outside of those situations, which, you know, aren't that, like, it's not like all of your drive time is spent in traffic um but yeah race cars right if you look at you know modern race cars they're all sequential paddle shift like they're not manual yeah um and that's because yeah quickness counts and and all of that time that's being saved and again it's it's like the corvette right chevrolet corvette goes mid-engine because chevy maximized the potential of the classic Sports yeah. car formula.
0: There was really nowhere else they could go up from there or yeah. improve on that, so they changed the formula, and I think what happened was spectacular. Yeah, and I mean, people were really upset about it at first because when when you change the traditional formula for something, people are going to be up in arms about it. But the result was so good, and yeah. so I think everyone eventually just accepted it because of how good it ended up.
1: But that's also, you know, a good um, kind of segue into talking about performance SUVs, that's another new kind of, yeah. you know, frontier that a lot of traditional enthusiasts get upset about. And it's like, guys, get over it, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I I, I empathize, you know, that, that you love what you love. But at the same time, it's like, if I have room for one vehicle in my driveway, and I like performance, but I also need room you know, for the whole family and to to get the, you know, all the gear to soccer practice and yeah. go to Costco and all that stuff. Like, yeah, of course, I'm going to buy an SUV. So to me, it's like, who cares?
0: But it's also a really cool time for performance vehicles in general because we've been able to expand that definition. Yeah. Now you can get an SUV with like 700 horsepower yeah. if you wanted it, which is insane to me, but yeah. also very cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and it's a different experience, but it's still very... Special. They're big and they're heavy, but they they kind of like hide that weight well. What these engineers have been able to do with these vehicles yeah. in terms of of like cornering performance is it's just like ridiculous. They're
0: defying physics yeah. with these things. Like yeah. I can't believe how fast some of these SUVs are, considering how big and heavy they are. That's I, wild.
1: I remember um, right before the pandemic, going to um, the Canary Islands for the Audi RS Q8 launch. And that's a big vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 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 day before we came home, we had this opportunity to be driven in the unit that set, like, the Nürburgring lap record for SUVs um, by the Audi factory driver that, you know, that set the lap record. And this is like a tiny little volcanic formation of an island, like these winding roads. And we were at the top of the mountain. And we drove, like, it was in, I could not get over how quick we were just gobbling up these switchbacks. And I was blown away. And this is, like, a big, you know, probably, like, 6,000-pound SUV.
0: But it felt like what?
1: It was just, like, this amazingly precise vehicle. And it was, you know, could still, like, hit, like, a sledgehammer. But it, like, had that precision of, like, Surgical instruments, and I couldn't. And obviously, the driver was, you know, a big, a big reason right, why. Cause he but he was a professional driver. But still, to to be able to do that in an SUV, like remember that Lamborghini, that like first kind of performance SUV, it was like ridiculous. It was like, the Urus. No, like back in the eighties. I don't remember. Oh, what it was the called. the
0: Rambo Lambo or yeah, something. The RLM yeah. something something. Yeah,
1: and that like compare that to yeah. you know the to the Urus, which has the same underpinnings as rsq8 um just like a few differences here and there it's incredible like time has really changed so much for performance suvs
0: oh for sure and it's not even at the the high end of the budget too like yeah. i just drove the hyundai kona n
1: super cool. which you
0: can have for i don't know around 40 grand
1: i'm driving one on the track soon oh my
0: god it, it was so much fun because it had so much personality um and again like not crazy amount of horsepower but I didn't feel scared driving it. It was very accessible performance, yeah. and it was also very practical because yeah. you can fit four people inside.
1: It's cool too. Like that was always a knock on the on the Hyundai Veloster N, right? Well, the Veloster in general, but the N, where it's like it's cool, but you know the Civic Type R had like a little more room. So then the Kona N comes out, and it takes all the good. It's and it's more powerful than the than the Veloster N.
0: Yeah, I think they had to make it more powerful to make up for that extra weight that but it carries. Still, but it's... yeah, it's amazing. And that's why I love hot hatches, because mm. they're so fun and so practical at the yeah. same time. Um, and I just really love when a car can do both things.
1: Yes, <laughs> yeah. But we should talk. So yeah, traditional sports car, that definition was, you know, front engine, rear drive, probably two seats. Yeah. Um, you know manual transmission preferred but not required let's right, say right yeah and then it's gone on to to cover you know front wheel drive and all wheel drive hot hatches sedans crossovers, crossovers SUVs pickup trucks it's it's crazy how you know it's just the definition has been able to evolve and just give you so many options
0: yeah and i love that there's really there's really something for every budget yeah. every type of driver every skill level and i think that's really cool Um, And even when we talk about like supercars and hypercars, like really exotic stuff, like Lamborghinis and Ferraris and stuff like that. um, I think those are really special for a couple of reasons. So they really represent um, like what the automotive engineers are capable of. Yes, It's like um, a really like the top tier of what is available. And to people who aren't rich and can't afford it, why do supercars matter to them?
1: I don't know. I mean, they're aspirational, right? Exactly. That's what you were saying earlier about, you know, this idea of like a sports car in general just being this this representation of, like, the open road and, and, you know, kind of getting out there. And that's what a supercar is just on another level, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. It's really a great showcase for what kind of tech and engineering the automotive industry is capable of. And that kind of stuff will trickle down to passenger cars that the rest of us can afford um, eventually. Like, it does take some time, but all of the research and development that goes into those vehicles will trickle down into stuff that we can actually afford.
1: But it's interesting... For me, that's why like a brand like McLaren is so cool, right? Because, okay, Lamborghini, it's part of the the Volkswagen group. So, of course, you're going to have that trickle down. And I think, you know, even, th- don't get me wrong, the, the RSQ8 is very expensive, but it's a cool example of how, you know, tech sharing between brands like a Lamborghini can make its way into something that's a little more attainable um, or a brand like Audi that's, you know, a little more palatable to more people. Um, But when you look at a brand like McLaren, it's crazy because it has no, you know, kind of regular brand. It's not part of another group where it's like, oh yeah, you're going to see this technology in 10 years. Right, it's like a very
0: boutique automaker. Yeah,
1: but, but part and parcel with the whole like aspirational thing is McLaren having the F1 team and creating fans, just like passionate, passionate McLaren fans who have maybe never driven the cars yeah maybe never will but they are like devoted to that brand
0: also because what they're doing is it's just so gorgeous like you see one on the street and it will stop anyone dead in their tracks and it's just so special like i've been very fortunate that i've been able to drive a mclaren and you know they have those crazy supercar doors that like swoop upwards and like everything is carbon fiber and yeah. the one i was driving was this beautiful like rich purple metallic color
1: i drove an orange one. one oh it was my like, god it just like everyone stopped and looked it's at so it.
0: special and yeah. so like every time i'm i'm able to drive a supercar or something like that i really realize that you have to have the personality to match because yes. everybody wants to talk to you about it
1: yes agreed <laughs> but yeah it's but it's cool because when you know that's that kind of other end of the spectrum and then you have like I just drove the Toyota GR86 that's very traditional um you know I recently drove the new Nissan Z and you
0: loved it it was
1: very good yeah and and though you know it's still that's a $50,000 car but it's still like that's much more reasonable and realistic for more people
0: exactly and yeah and
1: it's cool and that's and the cool thing like you know I I kind of described it when it, when you asked me what it was like it's like the Z is the you know, Subaru BRZ and Toyota GR eighty six that everyone wants, but no one wants to pay for. Right. Right? Because it's always oh, like the BRZ and, and eighty six So slow. So <laughs> slow, not enough power. And it's like Nissan comes out with a four hundred horsepower Z car that's, you know, twin turbocharged, and it's great. It feels very much like mm-hmm. those cars, just amped up and then but nobody's gonna want to pay. That's the cool thing about the BRZ and the GR eighty six is so that they're affordable. still affordable. The the G R eighty six starts around $31,000 in Canada, and the BRZ starts, like, just under 30000
0: Yeah, and we were talking to someone in the office about it. They were like, oh, is it expensive? And you were like, oh, no, it's like thirty grand," and their mind was blown. Yeah. And they were like, wow, that's suddenly looking really appealing now. Yeah. And this guy's a Porsche owner, right? Yeah. And so the fact that you can get performance for not a lot of money is so cool to yeah. me, and I hope that kind of always is there. <laughs>
1: yes, and, it's, and I think they're always... Maybe not always, but I think for a long time there's going to be that kind of entry-level performance because there are enough. And same thing with McLaren, it creates fans, right? When, you know, we're like kind of a little bit older in the sense that when when we were younger, the, the aspirations around a brand like Subaru were very much related to its rally mm-hmm. heritage. The BRZ came out kind of, you know, you and I were already like in our, Probably, well, when was that? 2013. So I was like in my late teens. Um, But you're seeing this whole other generation of people that don't necessarily know the Subaru Rally heritage, but they know this iconic sports car that was quite literally engineered to fit four track tires in the back with the seats folded down. Which
0: is so cool. Yeah, and
1: it was meant to be built on, right? It was not like, you buy an STI and yeah, people tune them and you know but but really like you can buy an STI and it it was just like ready to go.
0: Yeah, like right out of the factory, which yeah. is which is really cool too because a lot of people who are automotive enthusiasts aren't really like tinkerers. Yeah. Like they don't want to work on their own cars. And it's
1: also nice to have that covered under a factory warranty. Yeah, and that's what's <laughs> great
0: about it because you can get all of that stuff right out of the perform or right out of the factory yeah. and it's amazing. And you don't have to do any work
1: to but, it. But then if you buy a BRZ and you can have so much fun with it, but then you can start to say, Okay, here's what I you know, so my thing is, my, you know, expert tip of, of this episode is like, start with the tires. And that's true of anything. That's true if you're if you're four wheeling or whatever, but if you wanna kind of you know, amp up the performance in a noticeable way, you know, grip is king.
0: Get stickier tires. Yeah,
1: and you are going to notice a major, major improvement in performance. Um, and so, you know, with a car like the BRZ, you can get better to, for a long time. It was just those those primacy tires, they were like terrible, but I think part of the charm of, of kind of being able to like lean the back end out. Yeah. So
0: those tires are the same tires they have on like a Toyota Prius. So they're focused on efficiency and not grip. But the great part about that is because you were able to like drift that thing around corners without having to put too much power into it. So it was easy to control, um, and very satisfying. (laughs) So I
1: think those are still the same like base tires, but then for, for Subaru, it's like the Sport Tech RS, I think, comes with Michelin Pilot Sport 4s. And so does the Toyota GR86 Premium, I think it's called. Cool. So you get like a little bit more grip, a little more, you know, able to get that power down. But it's still a blast to drive. And it only, it's, the new one's what, 230 horsepower? It's still not like a super powerful car because it doesn't need to be.
0: It doesn't need to be because what sports cars like that do so well, like I'm talking about the low power ones, Mm -hmm. is their focus on purity, precision, agility, and fun. And being lightweight is a very big part of that as well, and balance. Um, And without all that extra weight to carry around, you don't need a sports car to be super powerful, because it just doesn't need, it doesn't have as much to motivate it.
1: (laughs) There's another, you know, an interesting one um, that I experienced that it's, you know, moving back to to SUVs for a second is, I remember doing a track event in the Porsche Macan, and it was when the four-cylinder, version came out so the base Macan and our lead driver our instructor was driving a Macan GTS which of course it was twin turbo v6 Mm -hmm. in a straight line he would just take off but all that extra weight over the nose meant as soon as we went into the corners we caught up to him and he was actually really surprised because it was his first time having them on the track together and he after we got off the track he was like I can't believe how quickly you caught up to me. But it was that weight reduction, you know, with having less to worry about that, you know, it's just less to slow down in general. You don't have to take corners slower. You know, you don't have to worry about it understeer as much, which is something we can talk about, you know, some of those principles of of performance. Um, and the same applies to a Miata or to a GR86 or a BRZ or, you know, a Volkswagen Golf GTI. Like, they're, you know, obviously... They've evolved a lot. The new GTI makes, like, it's got to be creeping up on 300 horsepower now. Yeah. Um, So it's, you know, obviously that is quite a bit. But the point being that it doesn't rely on its output.
0: Yeah, like, you don't need that horsepower. It's nice that it's there, but that car is still super fun, even if you never hit that peak, right?
1: Yes. The GTI is awesome. I haven't driven the new one yet. Neither Um, have I. But just in general, like, the lineage of that car is... Incredible. There's never been a bad generation.
0: It's just so fun and it's very practical and it's a really good all rounder. Like, again, it does everything really, really well. Um, And and that's the thing about a lot of performance cars is that a lot of them don't make compromises, which is what it makes them inherently impractical. Right. And like, you know, they're not great on gas. They need premium gas. There seems to be a lot of um, like cons around sports cars and not a lot of pros.
1: Yeah, I think... But the pros
0: are really good. Yes. <laughs> so it makes up for if it. if you're
1: buying one, it's like you're buying it because it has a purpose, right? It's like, per, that's the cool thing about performance. And again, slightly different, but um, Jeep years ago had to add some trims. Not, not only everybody wants a Wrangler, right? So, you know, they can just continue to come up with new versions and people will buy them. But the... The Rubicon is the most expensive one because it's got all those amazing off-road parts, right? Front and rear lockers and, you know, that low-range gearing and everything like that. Um, But people would just kind of walk into a Jeep dealership and say, like, I want a fully loaded Jeep, which technically was the Rubicon. And...
0: They're like, no, I want more. (laughs) Well, but they weren't...
1: No, they weren't driving them the way they were supposed to be driven. Because
0: they're not... No one's going off-road with it.
1: So this, whatever it was at the time, um, like a limited trim sat on top where it was like $300 more, but instead of, you know, locking diffs, um, it had like leather upholstery. And now of course you can get all of that stuff in right. any, but the point being, so performance is the same thing, right? It's like if you're, because people were like, Hey, I just want kind of more, um, or assuming that. You know, an STI is a good example, right? I'm sad to see it no longer sold um, because that was kind of like a a punishing car. It was uncomfortable. Remember, Craig Cole used to, he was like, it's like driving a tractor. He would get so upset. He loved being on the track in it, but was like driving it every day. It was like not comfortable. Yeah. It was, you know, you're not buying that. It's expensive because of the technology that's in there. Yeah,
0: exactly. And that's just something you'll have to deal with when you get performance cars. Like even in the Kona N that I was driving, I had so much fun. It was so stiff though. Like it was just so incredibly stiff. Like it was just bouncing around everywhere, really punishing, driving it through the city over streetcar tracks and potholes. However, once the road opened up and you could fling it through some corners, that stiffness uh, really paid off in yes. how well that little SUV could handle
1: and that it's still affordable too right because yeah. it's it's not about you know it's it's great more the more expensive you go you get technology like variable dampers right exactly. so you can control that well in a vehicle, you know, like the Kona, in the name of affordability, it's like kind of, this is what you get. Yeah, right? so to
0: me, it's worth it. Like, the payoff, to me, totally worth yeah. it. So I try not to complain about it. Um, I'm fine with it. But I want to demystify a couple things. Joseph,
1: hit us with the sound.
0: And so when, when people are talking about uh, performance cars, there's yeah. a lot of, like, terminology that they use that I don't think a lot of people understand.
1: Like, full send. and <laughs> No. Is that what you're talking about? I mean,
0: that's one of them.
1: It's Um, also lame.
0: But terms like, you know, oversteer and understeer, maybe we can go over what what those mean to kind of demystify that.
1: So as the name would suggest, it has steering in it for a reason. (laughs) So um, oversteer would be typical of a a rear-wheel drive car. So let's say you get on the gas too soon. um, Because you're driving the rear wheels, the back end starts to to step out on you. And if it goes too far, that's oversteer, because the car is steering further than the radius of the corner. Right. Um, understeer is the opposite, and it's typical of front-wheel drive and all-wheel drive cars. Um, front engine, where you try to turn in, but the car is just going to continue to plow towards the right. outside of the corner. You're you're understeering.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so that's you're, not you're steering. Your input is doing one thing. And your tires are pointing that way, but the car is still moving in its projected uh, trajectory. (laughs) Yes.
1: And that's why, again, like stuff like tires make a big difference. And also, you know, just kind of learning how to harness your vehicle's full potential, right? Using, you know, using the brakes to, to shift that weight forward and pivot, because that's part of the problem, right? Is if you don't have enough weight over those front wheels it's not going to be able to make that turn in a front wheel drive vehicle. That's where you're going to get that understeer. But if you're on the brakes kind of late into a corner, you can really shift all of the vehicle's weight forward. That way the vehicle is going to pivot on those front wheels. So it is important to, you know, if you're serious about performance driving, like take some performance driving lessons. Do it. It's well, well worth it.
0: It's so worth it to me because you're able to explore those higher limits of your vehicle in a yeah. safe environment and under the very watchful eye of a professional. Yeah. Who and there the any performance driving school that I've taken, the instructors are so kind and so understanding. Yeah. Um so you can go in there completely new, not not knowing anything about performance driving. And they're so non-judgmental. Yeah. They're really just there to help you and feel more comfortable.
1: And um, there are cool ones that are run by automakers now or, or like through automakers. Um, and they run the gamut from like Subaru has its winter drive experience, um, which is in Eagle River, Wisconsin, I believe. And it is very cool because it's set up with a whole track that's kind of plowed into the ice. Um, on this lake and you just get to rip around in BRZs and WRXs and STIs um, and then Porsche does it both on track and in the winter in the time. winter in the snow yeah and and uh, so does Mercedes the AMG yeah. Winter Driving Academy in uh, Gimli Manitoba and again the cool thing about that one and the Porsche one is their graduated programs. so if you do let's say you do like a Porsche experience in in Canada, you can go to Europe and do the the kind of like level the two. The next level. It's yep. super cool, and you can actually work all the way up to the full fledged like race program by doing these these Porsche programs.
0: And you could do it in your own car if you want, which yeah, I think is really or, cool. Or
1: or it's like if or they have ones available for you. Yeah, let's say you you're like, hey, I I'm I bought or I own a Boxster, and that's what I want to learn in, right? I want to learn how to get all I can out of that car. Then you can drive a Boxster at one of these events and really, you know, go home with more knowledge. And there's also the safety side of it, right? It's like, you can apply those best practices um, in a situation where you start to understeer. And, And, you know, obviously it's, you know, it's a track environment, but you can actually take those lessons and be like, hey, what do I do In the event of an emergency on the road
0: exactly because like when we talk about oversteer and understeer if you're able to react and control it in the way you want that's how you get faster as a driver and so but but the key is to do it in a in a controlled and safe environment like i do not recommend going out on public roads and trying to drift your car or anything like that i feel like that's really unsafe
1: yes i'm you know on a back road if i'm by myself of course, I'm going to have a little bit of fun. But I am not. Street racing is so stupid. Yeah. And I will, you know, we're, we're lucky in our jobs that we get to drive a lot of cool cars, um, a lot of performance vehicles. And quite often, if I'm waiting at a red light, I will be, you know, challenged by enough, for the lack of a better term, like challenged <laughs> by another driver who wants to street race. Yeah. I'm not doing it. I man. just let That's him go. Not, yeah.
0: This happens to me all the time. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't play that game. Like, no. I'm not, I don't want to do anything dangerous. No. Um, and, and that's, okay, so while we're on this topic, I do want to talk a little bit about, like, car culture in general. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of um, car culture and, like, these diehard car enthusiasts Um, think that sports cars are like the be-all end-all to automotive enthusiasm. Like if you don't drive manual, you're not a real car enthusiast. If you don't drive a sports car, you're dead to
1: us. Such a bad take.
0: I just think that that's not really cool because I always want the automotive space to be like welcoming to more people. And so if you like crossovers, that's cool. Like there's no rules for what it takes to like to be an automotive enthusiast. You just have to like cars. You don't need to know how to drive manual yeah. you don't even know you don't even need to drive to call yourself an automotive enthusiast but that's to why honest. i said
1: earlier about that idea that's like a manual is recommended but not required yeah in a lot of vehicles you know the miata is a great example the current mx5 it's like it is more fun i i will that's undeniable yeah it's part of that drive experience you know is like some heel and toe downshifting and and really again, maximizing the potential of the vehicle. But there are people that just are physically unable to do it, whether it's like a physical thing, whether it's just they can't figure it out.
0: Or some people just don't want to. Yeah. And, and that's not fine a, too. Yeah, it's
1: not a necessity. <laughs> and I would never, ever, you know, shame someone for for driving something. Your car is cool to you because it's cool to you.
0: Yeah. And that's all that counts. I'm I'm yeah. a
1: firm believer in that idea that it's like, you're buying it for you. Yes, of course, we said earlier that it's like, you know, a sports car kind of makes a statement about you and it's, you know, part of, of, of what you're projecting to people, but like buy something that makes you happy. Yeah. That's why I like to say to people like, Hey, you don't look at the outside of your car. So, okay, fine. Buy a silver or black or a white one. And that's like, if you have the option to get, you know, a little splash of color inside with a red interior, do it. Yeah. Because that's where you're hanging out and it's cool. And if you like it, then I do say it. I go for it. Yeah,
0: if you like it, that's the only justification you need to buy anything. Yeah, and, um, and that,
1: that is a, a big one for, you know, me, 6'3", 250 pounds, driving a 95 Miata, <laughs> right? It's like even some of my friends. My one friend, Jeff Crane, good guy. What is really great about him is that he's never afraid to admit when he's wrong. And we had this conversation that he said, you know, I used to make fun of, the Miata a lot and he's like when you told me you bought one like I thought it was kind of silly and funny but he's like you know it made me realize like there's a reason and then it got into that whole thing about you know the specialness of that car and the balance and everything like that and uh, he said yeah it's like you know they're actually kind of cool but it's like I dealt with that I wasn't gonna you know let it stop me friends that when I told them I was buying it they're like you in a Miata I'm like yeah me in a Miata why not? That's what I, I that's want. That's what
0: makes you happy. Then yeah. go for it. I didn't right? buy
1: it for for anyone else. I bought it for yeah. me, and I think that's an important part of of expanding, you know, car enthusiasm and, and for sure welp- welcoming more people. Yeah, is just being like it's not about shaming you or dunking on what you bought or what you what you drive out of necessity or out of affordability or whatever. It's like, cool, man. I'm stoked that you're stoked.
0: Exactly. I just want people to be excited about cars. Um, That's why I really don't like that really standoffish attitude that a lot of um, car enthusiasts have. I've experienced it a lot, you know, being a woman of color in the automotive industry. There's like a ton of gatekeeping that happens. Uh, I'm not about that life. And so I always wanna make sure everyone's just having a good time. We have, we have so much in common. If, if you like cars and we can talk about cars, let's just have fun doing it. Yeah. I'm not gonna quiz you on numbers or anything like that. I don't care about any of that, no. but anyway. Um,
1: rant over. Rant
0: over. Um, <laughs> and this is where our Ask an Expert comes in. Okay. So today's Ask an Expert segment is all about um, tips for driving fast, safely.
1: Okay.
0: Right. And so for me, yeah. you, you said have proper tires, which is really, yeah. really important. One of the best tips I got um, during those performance driving lessons was look as far as you possibly can. Don't look right at your, in front of your car at the nose of no. your car. You want to look far, far ahead. For
1: multiple reasons. It's, it's that idea of looking where you want to go. Exactly. Um, so if you have your eyes up and you're looking at that corner, you know you are going to be able to take it quicker and safer rather than like looking at the you can't see the asphalt in front of your car you're trying to see something that
0: exactly and,
1: and you can't anticipate that way right so whether it's just a accordingly i'm not talking about you know an animal running out or another vehicle if even if it's just a wide open road or a wide open stretch of track it's like keep your eyes up look down the road look where you want to go and you will point the car in that direction. Yeah,
0: your body is crazy like that. So look where you want to go is the best advice. Um, The other one that I think a lot of people don't consider is a proper driving position.
1: Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, I I had one not that long ago. I was talking about it in a video on the Auto Trader YouTube channel. (laughs) And um, this guy was like, who taught you proper seating position? And I was talking about it from like that performance perspective, right? Where it's like you want to have you know your your elbows kind of not tight to your side, but but tighter. And you should want to bend a in bend. your a bend in your elbow because if they're straight out, like that's not good. If they're like if it's too close to you, same thing. It, it impacts your response time. You know, nine and three driving position. Like let your hands kind of fall where the spokes of the steering wheel are that it's designed that way. I know 10 and two, that was kind of the old thing. Like nine and three is the most responsive yeah.
0: so position. The reason why a uh, proper driving position is so important is because when you're driving fast, it's all about being able to react to what's happening as quickly as possible. Yes. And being in that safe driving position enables that to happen. Yeah. And so if you're like in a car and you're like leans back all the way, it's very hard for you to react Yes. and change the direction of the steering wheel yep. in a really like if in an emergency
1: I had that on that on that Nissan Z program we were at Las Vegas Motor Speedway and of course you know we, we had to wear helmets um, but unfortunately being tall meant that I I could not mm-hmm. sit comfortably inside and so for the next kind of so I was kind of not I, I wasn't forced in but it was just like everybody got behind the wheel. And I was trying to get adjusted, and I couldn't um, – I wasn't sitting up in a in a proper, comfortable, upright position. And so the next round, I, I sat out. I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. That's fair, because, yeah,
0: because it didn't feel safe.
1: No, yeah. and, you know, one of the instructors was kind of bothered by the fact that I was like, well, you know, well, you're here. And it's like, yeah, man, but I also – you know, it's much harder to, to explain – why I went off the track because I couldn't see what I was doing or I wasn't, exactly. you know, didn't feel yep. kind of fully engaged in the drive. Um, and that's another big, that's that's a good one for car shopping too, Yes, is don't get your heart set on a vehicle. And I talk about this a lot in, in every vehicle, but don't get your heart set on something until you get behind the wheel. Even if it's just sitting there, no test drive yet, go to an auto show, check them out for yourself. If you have that short list of cars, because... It could be very disappointing that it's like, oh, I don't fit, or it's just not comfortable for me.
0: Yeah. And you won't know those things until you experience it in person. And so don't force it. Because yeah.
1: again, that's a big part of that safety yeah. thing is if you're not comfortable, if something's telling you that this isn't right, it's not right. Yeah. And and you need to, to bear that in mind.
0: Yeah. But just follow your gut and just keep in mind safety, yeah. safety, safety.
1: That also, also brings me to, hold on, another, another tip about, about safe driving is that idea that, don't, especially on the road, we just went over it with with street racing and all that stuff. But driving outside of your abilities is a recipe for disaster. Yep. And that, again, is why those advanced driver training programs are important. But pushing yourself and your vehicle further than your limits or the limits of your vehicle can have fatal results. It's not a joke. It's not something to take a risk. These are big, heavy objects yep. that can change a lot of lives very quickly and you need to be smart and safe and responsible. Yes, have fun. I'm all about that, but also do it in a way that's gonna allow you to keep having fun. Exactly. Because the wrong decision in that moment can change your life and the and the lives of so many others in the blink of an eye. So please be safe and responsible and smart.
0: Perfect. And on that note, if you have Anything you'd like to ask us, please email expert at trader.ca. Our next episode is going to be all about road trips. So if you guys have any questions about road trips, send us an email um, and we'll try to address some of your questions. But until then, thank you so much for joining us on On The Road. This was a fun one. It was. Um, And uh, we'll see you next time. See you guys.